Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of Ochre Mansion Obsession, your number one source for anything and everything related to the Embodiment of Scarlet Devil video game series. And I just have to say, it's sort of a weird milestone to celebrate, but 37 straight episodes with no breaks, I just really want to, you know, pat ourselves on the back for that. There's some interesting numerical properties and stuff that go with it, which is why I bring up now, and also because I missed the perfect square on 36. But like, good job, everyone. I can't believe we've done this every week successfully with no interruptions from all of the completely sensible and orderly stuff that is going on in our underground bunker right now. Let's make it to our 60th episode. Yeah. Yeah. A round of applause for everyone involved. Today's episode is on what can Flandre Scarlet not destroy? We Last episode, we went over uh, an exhaustive list of everything that Flandre Scarlet can destroy, but there's a couple exceptions that we've neglected to talk about. Should be a short episode. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much material we can possibly get out of that, considering that Flandre is uh, maybe got the most overpowered power in all of Toho. I mean, there's always the manipulation of fate aspect, so you could just manipulate something not to be destroyed. Let's not revisit that discussion. We all got into very heated arguments. I, for one, do not want to put up bail for any more members of this podcast. So let's just agree to avoid that dispute as we did at the end of that episode. Okay. Yeah. My parole officer is frantically signaling to me right now that we have to keep this under control. I know it's such an important issue to all of us, but that's exactly why we need to treat this with the gravitas and dignity that this issue deserves and not use any pole arms. There's probably a lot of new listeners to Elmo in recent times, and so it's been a while since we've done one of these. I think we could do just a quick sort of recap of all of the characters in Embodiment of Scarlet Devil and just kind of talk about each one. Because we probably will have less time. Let's be honest, we never run out of stuff to talk about with these characters. Yeah, it's truly an inexhaustible well of material. It's always hard to get new listeners in, and the early episodes, sometimes we, we got a little heated. Like, I think it's time we confront that. This is... We can go through and do a... Because we all love all of these characters so much. The, you know, the core of the franchise. They're where Toho started. What's Toho? You know the music productions? That's Toho. Oh, this, the the embodiment of Scarlet Devil spinoff stuff, the the CDs. Yeah, those are... Let's just not... Well, yeah, it's, we aren't a music critique podcast in the first place, so... I mean, you keep bringing them up. I don't really care about them since they're just... They don't have any vampires in them. Yeah, they have so many words. So I guess maybe we should get into it and start talking about... Do we just want to go through the characters in order? Or, like, are we going to... Like, where where do we start when sort of discussing the first embodiment of Scarlet Devil game? Order is the way that they were presented, right? I don't think it's up to us to question that. Yes. So yeah. do we just want to get into it with Rin Satsuki? So obviously, Rin Satsuki is a really interesting idea. 
of a meta character since there's such strong implications that she used to be there throughout the game but then she's mysteriously not there and I know that you guys think that this is kind of an off-the-wall theory but I thought that she's maybe gotten hidden by Rumia's power of darkness but I know that you guys are more into the Romelia side of things in regards to an explanation for her disappearance but I think she's really cute she's got a cool design I think she really is the key to everything in Embodiment of Scarlet Devil. There's been miles and miles of research dedicated to all the clues in the game, but I, I, I'm i still not really... Her name is literally Rin Satsu Ki, and if that's not a Zoom leaving like a massive clue to us, then I don't know what is. We sort of have touched briefly on how influential this series has been with other things, and you can clearly trace a lot of the work of Mr. Tobias Fox to the Rin Satsuki character with his own usage of cut content and you know the theories that that's inspired we've all read uh mr matthew patrick's spectacular thesis on that topic and i'm sure i don't need to introduce that this isn't really an undertale podcast but so like this isn't just something that we podcasters are sort of fixated on this is something that can be traced to some of the most influential fans of embodiment of scarlet devil and so I know that we all have our, you know, why is Rin missing theories, uh, Rumia, Romelia, maybe something from planned earlier games that Zun never made earlier. Some people have said those might tie in. It's just such a fascinating point of discussion. There's a lot of like legitimately cool stuff that people have come up with in terms of the auxiliary works. And it's a very bold play to leave in cut content in such a way that people would find it to include it in the marketing material even there's no way you do that on accident yeah and you bring up the long lost embodiment of scarlet devil prequels which never materialized and i do think that's an interesting point because rin is you know sort of hidden in this game i think is sort of confirmation that maybe those existed at one point she was planned to exist in those yeah yeah we certainly do get implications of those games in terms of the backstories of our two finished playable characters in the final versions, they certainly have some dialogue that alludes to previous events. And so... You guys must remember me not being so convinced of it last time, but I've been rooting up on it and I'm kind of increasingly convinced by the theory that Satsuki Rin is actually a avatar for Zun. She's got the whole like music motif going on and clearly like making everything happen behind the scenes even though she doesn't appear. There was also that one fan theory that her name having Kirin in it was a reference to Zun's favorite beer yeah. so it's obvious to me. I know that I was a little bit pushy last time yeah. but it's all in the past. I mean it's a theory but it's a theory in the scientific sense. Yes, precisely. There's a lot of evidence to back it up. Very uh, rigorously put together. And of course, we did cover that in episode 17. So if you're new to the podcast and want to delve deeper into the truth behind Satsuki Rin and her relationship to the beer brand and classical symbolism, check out our 17th episode. It has a lot of great content on that and only one stabbing. It was amazing. We we were working through our, our disagreements and I think that we've made a lot of progress. Yes. Yeah, my hospitalization didn't even last for three days. 
I know this, we've got great health care down here underground. Yeah, we have had a very high host turnover, but I think the situation is mostly stabilized. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all still here. What more can we ask in these trying times? Should we move on to... Is there anything more we want to cover? She's definitely a fascinating character, but there's only so much you can say about a character that Zoon definitely intends us to create on our own. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. She's such a powerful absence, but at the end of the day, that absence is... What can we say that isn't not there? You know, her silence really is deafening. We got a mailbag question asking us about, like, do we think that Zoon is ever going to put Rin in another game since she had that cameo appearance in the background of EOS D8? But first off, I still think that's just a misinterpretation of the sprite. And I agree that since her whole point is to be this, like, really deep meta character, it would kind of ruin her entire purpose in the series to actually put her in. I mean, if she does show up, then I'd be happily surprised, but I wouldn't count on it. I think the only way she can show up is at the very end of the series. I think that maybe they could pull off something very amusing, you know, tie it all the way back around to the beginning, twist the perspective a bit. But And I mean, I'm not Zun. I only have an IQ of 160 to his... 7 billion or whatever it was when he was last tested. So like, I can only grasp a minuscule fraction of his great mind. I could not tell that story, but I feel like if he can, maybe she can come back at the end, but in terms of just like an appearance in a regular game, she's not going to make a cameo in the background. I'm sorry, that is not part of the sprite. That's just a particle effect. Yeah. Yeah. Should we move on to the contrasting, the next character to be introduced, the one that has the absolute most appearances throughout the entire embodiment of Scar... Lit Devil series. I'm speaking, of course, of Dayusei. Of course, Dayusei and her rivalry with Rumia has been a big arc that I'm hoping to see resolved in the next game, but it's probably going to be maybe a couple more. But let's talk about Dayosei herself first. If you don't speak Japanese, her name is literally like Great Fairy, or some people like to translate it as Big Fairy, usually the sort of ride or die Rumia stands who sort of want to dunk on Dayosei a bit. And she's sort of representative of the fairy right? This people within the area around the Scarlet Devil Mansion and serves as sort of their first appearance in their introduction in the series because she's often also associated with Chirno, who's sort of the atypical fairy, the one we get a lot of what fairies aren't like from Dayose is much more like the archetype of the fairy. Everything that we've come to expect from fairies in the EOSD franchise started with her. Yeah, the shyness, the lack of presence unless they're planning something big, all of that. I mean, I know that a lot of people here like Cherno, but I personally think that the boastful coward act is like just too unfairy like for me to think of her as realistic. I know that she's a fan favorite, but what would Cherno be without Dayose? Like without that contrast. I kind of like the whole rivalry thing, but I think it's been 
kind of poisoned by the like enemy shipping going on between them. I don't I don't get why everyone yeah, always yeah. insists on doing that. I don't get why everybody in, always insists on shipping the characters, period. They're all girls. You don't have to put them together. I mean, they're both immortal, so what the hell is the point of them like killing each other all the time? Right. That's like such nonsensical fanon. Yeah, and speaking of immortals killing each other, like it's pretty obvious that Cherno and Daise are, you know, sort of the more official like pairing because in embodiment of Scarlet Devil 2, they were the partner team together. Mm. And, you know, this kind of where a lot of the basis of their sort of dynamic comes from is interactions during the events of that story. You know, I always try to forget that that game exists. I mean, half of it has been retconned and it's just easier to throw the whole thing out at this point. You know, I disagree, but everyone's entitled to their opinions. And as the man with the pepper sprays looming over my shoulder, let's not get into this argument again. None of us want to go back to jail. Tempers can run high, but please, for the sake of the show and the people, we have to move on. We have too many murder charges already, sorry. Yeah, you know, so we've talked about Daise. We should probably talk about Rumia as well, you know, just to get that out of the way. But... Sealed Demon of Darkness. You mean Lumia. Right, forgive me. That's a common, like, amateur translator mistake. Well, you know, that's how I first saw it when it was translated. So even if the correct spelling is Lumia, I think it's fine to keep calling her Lumia. Are you one of those people that calls her Frandal? That's just what I'm used to, okay? Yeah, fine. Yeah, let's not get into this. (laughs) Yeah, remember, the, the peacemakers, peacemakers, be Gandhi. We're all very invested in that, and this is that's normally great. It's what keeps the show going, but we need to keep the show going, right? The show must go on, in the words of the great Mr. Mercury. Yeah, so I think that Rumia is hey. probably one of the most overpowered characters in Embodiment of Scarlet Devil. Like, she's got the darkness powers, and, like, what can you do against that? She's just going to blind you, and then she's going to eat you. And that's not getting into the, like, metaphorical darkness powers, right? And the potential power that she has when she's unsealed, because we only see one of her unsealed appearances, and Diose comes in and ends that pretty quickly, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a reason that she is, like, the where the whole idea of the characters in this series being overpowered comes from. Oh yes, 100%. Our good friends over at the Versus Battles wiki have conclusively proven that she's stronger than any laser because darkness is faster than light. It comes down to, right, like if she gets hit with a laser or something, she let that happen, right? Because you can, light needs to come from somewhere, but there's always darkness. That's what I learned from the Embodiment of Scarlet Devil Kingdom Hearts collab. I still think that the Sora Mei Ling costume was incredibly out of left field. Yeah, but I mean, who are we to question the wisdom of Zun and or Square Enix and Please don't sue us. I know we said your name, but it's your intellectual property. We dance on the edge of the blade of merciful did. All right, reserved. This isn't really something we ever see. I think mostly because of just like you know gameplay abstraction and like freaking. Yeah, and because it's dark. Yes. 
Yes. You know, like, I do get the feeling that Ramia can probably, when she is unsealed and has her ribbon removed, I think that she can probably just completely stop any bullet dead in its tracks with her darkness powers, because it just can't penetrate the darkness. Yeah, there's definitely been implications that she can, like, form swords out of darkness and stuff. Anything can be converted into energy and all that, and with her darkness powers, she's already shown the ability to just block any of that out. So she can basically... Especially with the ribbon off, she can just consume anything. It's not really even a fight. I don't get why we're even talking about that. Yeah, let's keep the power levels out of it. I would be very excited to see her in, as maybe the EX boss of a future embodiment of Scarlet Devil game. Yeah. Or maybe even like a stage above EX. <laughs> We've never really had that before in an embodiment of Scarlet Devil game, but like if anyone deserves a stage further than EX... It would be Ramia. I think I would call it the demon stage. Oh, that's very good. That's good, yeah. I like that. Since it's basically an embodiment of everything that embodiment of Scarlet Devil represents. Yeah, and like the devil-demon contrast is significant in the sense of, uh, you know, you, you see it in some Western works with like Dungeons and Dragons and the like. Having that juxtaposition, I think there would be cool stuff that you definitely could do with that. I really look forward to seeing how Rumia develops in the future. I feel like that might too easily turn into a rehash of the whole free game blood war arc that we all agree was kind of overhyped and didn't really work out in the end. They just have to be willing to deviate from the status quo a lot more than they did. Like, essentially what did blood war come to but just everything's the same at the end you know rumia and diose never actually communicated like for all the conflict there was no resolution and i think that if they did it with as we were saying under diose's entry if they really committed to ending that plot thread i think that would be a very interesting time to have that stage emerge i still feel like zune's only going to do it once get to the end of the franchise but that's just me yeah 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 it's so iconic at this point yeah so should we you know, we mentioned Cherno a little bit earlier. Should we talk about her, or how do you think we've said everything there is to be said about her? Well, she's everything that a uh, fairy like fairy isn't, basically. She's over competitive, she's overconfident, she talks real loudly. Yeah, and she's a tomboy. I personally don't like the voice actor that was chosen in Embodiment of Scarlet Devil 17 at all, but at least she hasn't shown up in the two since then, so. Yeah. I think maybe Zun kind of saw the critical response to Cherno in that game and decided to, you know, sort of lay, lay low for a bit with her. I think she's just on the shelf. She's just so defined by her contrast to Diose and with her being in less focus and much more focusing just on her and Rumia rather than fairy business in general I think that Cherno really doesn't have as much of a role at present she's just sort of retired to her schoolhouse and her math students the setting has kind of moved away from what she represents at this point yeah I wouldn't be surprised if Tun was kind of embarrassed of her at this point maybe like we're just gonna go for like a period where how long do you think Cherno is just going to, you know, not get any speaking time in a game? You know, at least five years, right? Yeah, maybe even a whole decade. I mean, that's a bit much. Like, as much as the fans never really picked up on her as much as 
some of the other characters. I think Zoon thinks that she's at least somewhat important. Yeah. Even if he's kind of embarrassed of her at this point. I mean, who else are you going to have alongside Dayose at the end of it? I know not to restart any of the shipping wars, but that's such a big piece of the fandom. It's just an iconic duo. Yeah, I don't think you can have that be set aside forever. Yeah. Yeah. So shall we finally enter the Scarlet Devil Mansion? Well, now, now, the, the gate is not inside the mansion. Yeah. Oh, let's not bring this up again. That's That derailed episode 25 completely. We don't need to bludgeon anybody over this again. Yeah, we've had the argument about where the mansion starts and where it ends. And, you know, I still maintain that the grounds are part of the mansion. I think that the grounds are part of the mansion. Yeah, but she stands outside the grounds. Exactly. So when we're going to hear we are approaching the mansion, but we have not entered it. We have not entered the grounds. We are still outside both the grounds and the proper structure of the mansion. There is... Yeah, the gatekeeper is by definition outside the gate. Oh my god, the gate is part of the property. It counts as part of the mansion. We've gone over this a hundred times. My parole officer is glaring at me. Can we... Yeah, we're getting a little heated. Okay, yeah, I am actually, uh, like, I don't want to be tased here, uh, so let's... We need to be civil, we need to not get any more charges levied against this podcast or its production staff. You know, the pr- the producers are always watching. You guys do such a great job with the editing. It's about time we get to the real question. We were supposed to talk about Misuzu. I still think that it's mainly. I know that the popular fanon consensus is Misuzu Kuranai, but come on, it's obviously Mei Ling. Like, look at the outfit she has on. I don't think Zun would really sink to that kind of stereotype, really. There's plenty of characters with Western-style outfits, like, shall we say, Izayoi Sakuya, and her name is read in Japanese, despite being very non-Japanese-style outfit. I think that the Japanese name reading is the correct one. Yeah, it's it's the one consistent with the rest of the series. Well, I won't p- push the point, but just know that you're wrong. As long as you know that also, we can go. So, Misuzu. It's no wonder that she's one of the most divisive characters in the series since she is so central to the whole thing. Yeah, like, she's a dragon, obviously, one of the most powerful yokai that there is. Yeah, and the literal and figurative gatekeeper of the series. I think that she's the dragon god that's been mentioned a couple times. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean... No, 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 I definitely agree with you. Yeah, I think we're in agreement on this one. Yeah. It's, it's... Who else would it be? I mean, I will hold out on my theory that she's the dragon god's aunt. Well, some vampires are associated with dragons, so you get the odd person claiming that Romelia, for example, is the dragon god. But come on. Oh, that is un... Yeah. Romelia is a vampire. Misuzu is the dragon. Like, who else could it possibly be? There's no other dragons. Like, some have said, you know, Romelia is the descendant of Vlad Dracula. But, like, Dracula himself was the son of Dracul. So, like, it would have to be Dracula's dad or mom. And there is no evidence that Mei Ling did not raise Dracula. She has been at the mansion for an unknown amount of time. Exactly. There is no evidence against it. Absolutely, Mei Ling. You mean Misuzu? Was the dragon who raised... Oh, yeah, sorry, Misuzu. Oh, God. I've gotten... I've fallen into the bad memes again. <laughs> sorry, I spent the morning shit posting and getting people angry, and it's just... I've internalized it. I'm going to have to take my medication. 
I can't really blame you because that Iosis song where they just say Mei Ling like 45 times in a row, it really does get stuck in your head. Yeah, there was this great remix of it with Dr. Robotnik and I'll, I'll post it in the chat later. I love Silva Gunner's work on the later on the more recent soundtracks like that. Zinn's compositions are great, but like bringing in outside artists and just everything that Silva Gunner has done for the franchise has been so high quality. I'm just so glad that they were brought on board. Yeah, I think that sharing ideas was just a great thing for the embodiment of Scarlet Devil franchise. By the existence of Dracula, we have Son of the Dragon, which means there has to have been a dragon involved somewhere. And since it's unlikely a dragon, like, had straight-up human kids, I think it's just Mei Ling at one point adopted the person because, you know, some people have said, well, was Dracula a guy? Is Dracula a girl? We don't have conclusive evidence on that. The fledgling Dracula, who would be raised as, like, the child of the dragon, and then in turn, eventually, succession of the mansion passes from Dracula to Romelia. Obviously, given the franchise, but also since it's Dracula, not Draculo. It is Romania, which is that has the same root as Roman, and thus the Latin name endings are completely appropriate. So yeah, uh, although it should have, it would have been Draculus. Fair. Common misconception. It's easy to mix up with other Romance languages, so. But yeah, I think that it's entirely possible that Misuzu adopted Romilia's mom, and then I don't know what actually happened to her, but it was probably something pretty awful considering the general tone of the series. Yeah. Like, it's obvious that everything is nice and peaceful now, but you get implications into the backstory, you know? You know, Misuzu being the guardian of the mansion, when you think about all of this backstory and how that factors into it, like her guarding the mansion is, I think, a pretty indicative of, you know, that kind of very, like, protective and affectionate relationship. She is probably the main reason why everybody can always go home and have tea parties, no matter what kind of conflict they got into. Like we saw even Diose and Rumia go home and have a tea party together last time so and of course the shippers made way too much of a deal out of it yeah yeah like honestly if you can wear your best clothes to somebody's house without it being a date like it's obviously just her trying to intimidate her rival yeah why can't they just be friends you know or enemies as the case may be or frenemies i mean it's basically reading comprehension Right. Like, it's literally just a literacy test. Like, if you can't see that they're just best friends or, you know, best enemies, I don't even know what to tell you. Whatever it is, it's not romantic. That's the only thing that I really care about. Is it time to talk about the library? Yeah. I love the library. Library. It's Mookie time. She hasn't really shown up again much outside of the first game, but Patchouli is just such a... She's one of my favorite characters, and I know everyone thinks I'm a, I'm a hipster for saying that. Like, who does she even talk to? She certainly... No, I think you're right. She's adorable. Okay, but she's only been in one embodiment of Scarlet Devil game. Like, how... You hear Ko Akuma talking about her all the time. It's not like she isn't being referenced. Yeah. And we know the important parts. Like, we talked about Rin Satsuki being a important character even though she's always in the background why can't people think of patchouli in the same way that's what I'm saying I mean everyone always assumes that she's gloomy but she I mean she listens to hip-hop and stuff I mean people just ignore that side of her character 
she's where we get most of our vital characterization information about Marisa in the first game. Like, come on. We get to know that Marisa's a kleptomaniac, and that continues on as her defining character trait up till this day. It's obvious that this was a key point in her character arc, so why do we never, like, hear people talking about those dynamics? That ensuing, like, not quite rivalry, but, like, indirect conflict with Patchouli, she sort of stays on the home front while Koakuma is the one who's out fighting Marisa and trying to take back all of Marisa's latest thefts and tracking her down, and it's just like, yes, most of the front interactions are Koakuma and Marisa, but the actual... She's there on Patchouli's orders. The personal conflict is between Marisa and Patchouli, and Koakuma is sort of caught in the middle and wants to be friends with everyone. It's been established that the familiar is basically an extension of their master, so even in universe terms, it's basically the same thing as Patchouli going out herself. Yes and no, because you know, simply stating that she's an extension of Patchouli is erasing sort of her personal conflicts with being a familiar, right? She yeah. has her own will, and that has done some very important things throughout the series. Like, she was the one who decided to team up with Diose when Rumia seemed to be breaking into the basement of the mansion. Patchouli was not deciding that. She obviously has, like, her own decision-making power. She's not a computer or anything. Who could forget Koakuma's uh, famous line, I'm uh, just a mercenary. Oh yeah, Koakuma has the implications of the prequel games being planned too. So maybe her and Rin were supposed to be the Havadal characters there, but Zun decided that she would fit better in sequel games? They've got kind of complementary color schemes and all that. Yeah. You know, I do think, you know, maybe that line is sort of, the way she says it, I think, kind of indicates that that's not the end of the story about her feelings on the matter like I think that maybe it's something that she tells herself to sort of avoid really looking deeper inside of her incredibly rich characterization and yeah I think we're gonna maybe see some conflict with her and Patchouli in the future or at least I will because Patchouli's just so cute when she's being awful sure but what are the chances of Patchouli actually coming back and making on-screen appearance I mean I feel like she has to to resolve Koakuma's arc as much as they've sort of been building her unease with just being like a mercenary you know the sort of irony there i don't think there's a way to resolve that arc without an in-person confrontation between her and patchouli or even patchouli and marisa or patchouli and diose while koakuma is otherwise occupied because there's a lot of threats converging and things right there eventually is going to have to be times where the library is acting on two fronts if we want to you know bring all of these plot threads together. We've never known Zun to like leave a plot thread hanging, so I guess I see your point. That probably doesn't mean that we'll get to see Patchouli again. There is like the occasional case, like we all remember the ending of the restricted bookery manga. The whole conflict was basically resolved off screen, so Zun could avoid having Patchouli actually show up on screen, even if they resolve the whole thing. I mean, yeah, he's done it before, but, you know, I... If... That was with... The thing is, that was with the characters from that manga, and not character arcs that have been present in the franchise from the beginning. I mean, fair. Like, Koakuma's deafening silence in the first game is just so thematically pivotal to everything that comes after it that I don't think you can just leave that 
Fair. Yeah, so I guess good news, Petruli fans. Expect to see Petruli again in the future. I think that's all there is to say about the library right now. So I think maybe it's time to talk about my personal favorite character in all of Embodiment of Scarlet Devil. I do say this a lot, but I do think that she might actually be the most overpowered and coolest embodiment of Scarlet Devil character. That's a that's pretty big praise. And I am, of course, talking about Sakuya, who is... She can stop time. She can't be beaten. Yeah, that's basically... Well, she can't be beaten, but, like, the big problem there is, like, can she really beat anybody else by doing anything that, other than speeding up their aging when we're in a series full of immortal characters? I mean, you know, she can stop time and kill everyone, and I don't understand why she doesn't just do that. This is obviously a topic that I love to harp on about, so forgive me, but I have to, you know, get it out there. It's really strange to me that, you know, Embodiment of Scarlet Devil has been going on for as long as it has been. Like, what, 25 years now? Absolutely ridiculous. But it's so strange to me that, first of all, we've never gotten her as a playable character, even once, in that entire time. And I think there's so much potential there, because, like, you could make a whole story about Sakuya just stopping time and killing everyone until she wins. I don't understand why Zun doesn't do that. The simple answer is that, I mean, she could do that, but Zun kind of realized that he's written himself into a corner. That's literally why he doesn't bring her back, since she would break the whole setting. I have no idea what you possibly mean by that. I personally think it's much more that she has some hidden agenda. There was all that vampire hunter stuff, and then the stuff with the moon. And I mean, we all know fans tend to put her with Misuzu, and they sort of definitely in canon are the sort of older, responsible people. They have to know some of the backstory elements that we've never really had access to. And I mean, who else could have initially sealed Rumia, right? Who will ribbon the Gru <laughs> other than someone with time-stopping powers? Time-stopping powers alongside the power of the Dragon God. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that Sakia is deliberately staying out of the limelight because she's working on some agenda that drawing all the attention to herself would expose her to whatever it is that she and Misuzu and the rest of sort of the hell even unsealed Rumia are like there's something that's tying them all together and I think that I think that that would be a good transition to our next character yeah. Is there anything else we want to sort of talk about? I know we, we can't get into the, the time stop who kills what sort of situation because, you know, the restraining order, but... Yeah, we already know who kills who. <laughs> it doesn't end well. Yeah, it turns out to be the host of this podcast. So let's, in the interest of healing, unless there's anything sort of more Sakia theories or anything else, I know we just did that in episode two, actually. It was our second episode of like what Sakia's deal and all that. I do think that Sakia is the mastermind of the whole plot behind the murder mystery embodiment of Scarlet Devil music CD. Oh, yeah. I mean, they talk so much about the watches on and like there are clocks hanging on the walls. And what else does that mean? Like that doesn't mean anyone else right they make so many mentions of time and time passing and what time is it it's impossible to miss do you think people who are getting murdered are just like actively checking the time no they're they're trying not to get murdered that is a deliberate inclusion on zun's part that hints towards the culprit definitely oh yeah yeah i hope that it gets made into an anime like the prior slice of life cd because that just made everything so much clearer and cuter you know yeah and it might make everything more 
easy to distinguish here too. I do think having Sakaya in an anime like that would be amazing just because she's clearly the coolest character in the entire series and you know obviously the most important but um I do think that that would be expressed really well in an anime like Big that. Word. Yeah. So let's uh, should we should we talk about Romelia then? Let's talk about the person who brought the entire cast together. <coughs> yeah, yes. there's a reason the series is named after her. The embodiment herself. The series is called Embodiment of Scarlet Devil, and you know you could interpret that in many different ways. But I do think that if you think of Scarlet Devil as just you know the, the mansion in general and everyone that lives in it, then I think that Romelia really is the embodiment of everyone there. You know that's just such a brilliant title. Like it, it all comes together at the end like that. Yeah, and she is the last person that most people will see in their first experience with EOSD1. You know, everyone else is built up to her and, you know, you're wondering what links all of these different people together and then they drop a vampire whose power is manipulating fate. And, you know, what better explanation for why all these different storylines and things are intertwined than someone with that power. And of course, we have, you know, we, we Sakia masterminders tend to think that Maybe it's not all Romelia's idea and that she's... And I know that, you know, some people don't like that take and want to think that Romelia's, like, leading the charge against something, but I feel like she doesn't really know what the long game is. She's so important in terms of keeping things together and keeping things as they are, but I don't think she's the one who really... I think she definitely, like, embodies keeping things in the status quo, you know? Yeah. So, like, a plan that's going to drastically change up the setting, I feel like, is way more likely to be Sakia just manipulating her. If you think of her as, like, an eternal child, then it comes kind of obvious that she's, by definition, like, unable to change and unable to change the setting. And obviously, since Zun's such a big fan of detective literature there's been so many times in the whole franchise that like there's been those the butler did it jokes i think the whole series is basically one a butler did it joke at the same time i can't help but wonder if that's some meta joke in of itself right where is the butler the one doing it or is the butler the one stopping it like we don't really know what the long game is here what exactly did the butler do yeah we can't tell because she always stops time so she could be doing literally anything off screen or even on screen and we wouldn't even see it yeah and i do think you know obviously Romelia is the one whose powers brought everyone together but we still don't really know like to what end because there's not really any sort of conflict or interaction outside of the mansion yeah. like it's just the occupants of the mansion yeah in that sense it would be kind of like a locked room mystery wouldn't it yeah i mean she's very charismatic but she doesn't really know how to wield that for any real purpose yeah so i do think that there is some kind of secret plot involved by presumably sakuya and it'll probably be revealed in due time and it'll definitely be worth the wait I mean, I'm not sure what else to say there is to say about Ermelia because she is just, like... So obviously pivotal to the series. Basically everything she does in any of the games is just, like, she's always the reactive side. Like the like the one time the Spear the Gunner got stolen and the whole game was just about getting back. Yeah, and then when, like, someone hid all her tea on the moon so they had to go get it. I feel like all the time she's reacting to just Reimu being the worst. 
Yeah, we haven't really talked about Remu yet, like, at all, but, you know, I think that's mostly just because of our deep and very strong personal distaste for her as a character. Yeah, I mean, I know you have to have, like, unpleasant characters, because you can't just have everybody be as cool as the residents of the mansion, but, like, someone who wants to just kill all devils without a second thought, like, that's... She's basically just a glorified shot option, since we didn't... She soon want to add some more, like, already next to Diose. Yeah. Like, I just don't get why she's so hostile to everyone in the mansion, and, like, why she keeps trying to kill them, because, like, it's only thanks to Sakio's powers, really, that she never succeeds. I just don't understand why she hates everyone so much. Like, why is she such a bad person? I mean, she's greedy. She wants to loot the mansion. Oh, yeah. Okay, but greed is just, you know, it's something that points to her being a bad person. I don't think that's the motivation for her being a bad person. I think that she just likes to attack people. That's what she does. It's not like she has to do it for her job or anything. All she just has to do is go show up and say, ha, stop doing that. But no, she just goes and attacks people for no reason. Yeah, I'll never understand it. Like, I really wish that Zen would just write her out of the series already. And I think she does have a role in terms of the other sort of driven but not understandable antagonist, which is Marisa, who's just, just so very avaricious. I think Marisa has, like, the benefit of, like, she's just cool, though. Yeah, and the, the thing is, is that Marisa... Marisa's vice is, quote-unquote, like, material violence or something, right? She's concerned about things, and whereas Remu is more... She has, like, an ideological objection, and I think that comes off as a lot less sympathetic to people because it seems like she's being driven irrationally because she is... Like, at least you can understand the drive that somebody has to steal stuff, even if it's not to the same extent as Marisa. Exactly. Like, I love having cool stuff, but I love all the characters in Embodiment of Scarlet Devil, and I don't understand why anyone would try to kill them. I mean, if you look at them, the Marisa is basically like a shoplifter idol, if you think about it, but it's kind of a whole different ballpark once you start shooting the people in there. Part of the problem is that she just hasn't had that counterweight, like with the Marisa Patchouli sort of rivalry, right? We've been able to have some kind of questionable stuff on Patchouli's side, whereas there's not really anyone who's balancing Remu, so a lot of all of the negativity in those conflicts has to be from her side. Right, like it's always Remu just being like, rah, I'm gonna kill everyone, and then like the Scarlet Devil Mansion residents are just like, you know, like, they're trying to live their lives and just enjoy, you know, their tea parties and stuff. And, you know, they're just like, no, please don't do that. And Remu doesn't care. Like, she's not interested in anything but violence. She knows she can't even really win. Like, even though she's invincible, Romelia can just manipulate fate and make everything that she tries to do moot. It's obvious that she has no real chance of winning here, but... I don't think she wants to win, though. I think she's much more invested in the conflict itself. There's not a... I think if she won, she would not know what to do with it. Yeah, she's more invested in, I guess, like, just, just doing hurting violence people. to people. Yeah, I mean, fittingly enough, she's basically the Joker to Romilia's Batman. We live in a society. You know, I never really thought about it that way, but I do think that you're right. And I think this might even be, like, an intentional reference to the Joker. I mean, red and white are traditional clown face colors. Yeah. Yeah, and 
to Raimu, it really isn't about the money or the books or, you know, having a good time. It really is just about sending a message. And that message is hate and violence. That message is fuck you. Some people just want to watch the world burn. Exactly. And, you know, I've, you know, all this talk about Raimu has left a really unpleasant taste in my mouth. So let's move on to my personal favorite character. There's a reason I'm basically named after her. Most people don't remember since I've been using this, like, as long as I've been in this fandom, but it's originally a misspelling, Lavlander Scarlet. Yeah, I mean, you know, I really looked up to you back in the old days on the Embodiment of Scarlet Devil forums, because, like, you know, your passion for translating so many Embodiment of Scarlet Devil dojins, like, really showed, and it was very obvious that you were dedicated to your craft, so... Like, you're a huge inspiration to me, and... I know. It was kind of hard at first, but... It gets easier once you... Luckily, most of the plots are kind of similar in the end, so to be honest, it gets easier after the 500 or so. It's such a testament to the creativity of the embodiment of Scarlet Devil fandom, though, that for all the similar plots, it never really feels like anything's being rehashed, right? Yeah, it really never gets old. I could do nothing but read about Scarlet Devil Mansion for, you know, the rest of my life. And Zun did say that he was going to keep making Embodiment of Scarlet Devil, like, as long as he could. And he wasn't really interested in doing anything else. So, like, I'm... I could do this forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like we could talk about Embodiment of Scarlet Devil forever. Are we going to talk about yeah. Lavender though, or are we going to leave that for the next episode? Well, we ha- need we- to talk about her. She's just... Yeah, we've got time. We can't just leave her by. I mean, she's... If Romilia is the thematic core of the franchise, then Flandre is the, the face of it, right? She's the aesthetic core. Like, just, she represents the franchise. I mean, you can see her on the cover of every game, so. Yeah, her design actually is very unique and very eye-catching. Like, her little crystal wings are probably one of the most iconic visuals in the series in terms of, like, immediately knowing who that's referencing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you think about it, even her theme song, Embodiment of Scarlet Devil, was her. Obviously, it's kind of in conflict with what we said about Romilia, but I think it really speaks to the whole fact that both of them are really the alpha and omega of the series. Yeah, and I mean, like, there was that McDonald's crossover. I think they both are pretty representative of the series as a whole, and the song could be referring to her sister, because the two of them had such a rough relationship at the start, and the two of them have moved on to being so sweet and nice to each other nowadays. Japanese is kind of ambiguous anyway. It could mean basically anything, literally. Yeah, there, you know, there's so many untranslatable Japanese idioms. It, it really could mean anything, and it's sort of up to fan interpretation. And, I, like, you know, obviously that's a part of Embodiment of Scarlet Devil's appeal. And, I mean, that's just the important thing to understand, right, is that the content of the text and the intentions or inflections of the authors reflect different things. So just because something is written or said in a certain way doesn't mean that that's actually what it means means yeah 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 like the couple of times in the 
later stuff where you get implications well some people think they're actually implications that the residents of the mansion eat people it's obviously just joking in and trying to get Raymond's goat but like there are some people who take it seriously because people apparently can't read sarcasm yeah it is kind of complicated by soon style where he's shown a couple times that like him not saying anything or even saying one thing might actually be taken as proof of the opposite. Yeah, and I mean, it is hard to ignore the evidence that Flandre is like a crazed killer. Like, the, it's never, you know, obviously been said explicitly, but I do, like, it's pretty obvious just sort of based on the way that she acts that not, she's not all there, you know? It's still sympathetic because all the humans that we see in the series are people like Raymond and Marisa. Yeah, exactly. You never really feel bad about the idea that Flandre might be, you know, just like murdering everybody. Yeah, you kind of hope for it. Yeah, yeah, like... You don't see it on screen, so... Like, who cares if Remu gets exploded? She has extra lives anyway because of stupid plot powers. Yeah, exactly. Do we want to sort of call it there for this week? We don't want to really get back into the what could she destroy, what couldn't she? Like, that's... I'm getting the signal from the producers. Yeah, this was supposed to be like a 10-minute intro, but we ended up spending the whole episode on it. We can do the rest of that next week. Yeah, like, we could really talk about Romilia. Uh, I mean, sorry, Flandre forever. We could talk about Romilia forever, too. <laughs> I do think that maybe next time we should wrap up this discussion and sort of really get into the nitty-gritty of Flandre's character and just, like, all of the ins and outs and the sort of subtle influences of her character and really deconstruct her character and talk about it in full detail that'll be a good next episode i mean i'm all for it i have been your host jay romelia scarlet fate manipulation domination t i have been knee diose lover 5500 bye this is me katya sakuya blood rain 69 goodbye see you next week and i have been the ever lovely f better known as power level calculator 9002 and of course, Levlander Scarlet, the only surviving original cast member of the show. Bye.